Good afternoon. I'm John Zingali, and welcome to season three of the Teachers in the Hall podcast. Uh, no, that's not good. Um, <laughs> He's right. almost there. Yeah, I got it now. All right. Hello, and welcome to season three of the Teachers in the Hall podcast. I'm John Zingali, and I like kayaking, going on hikes, and photography. And I'm Erin Lark, and this summer I am all about lawn chairs, lemonade, and lounging. It has been quite a year, and we are here welcoming the new school year back, but not quite yet, kind of easing into it, just like you might put your toes in a swimming pool. And so today we'd like to start by talking about our summer reading list. So John, what are you reading right now? Yeah, so this year, um, I'm changing up a couple of different things. I'm going to be starting the year with our National History Day project at school. And this year's uh, theme is debate and diplomacy, which is a really cool theme the more I keep thinking about it. But I'm not teaching U.S. history this year. I'm teaching Washington State history. So I've got to really kind of take that theme and rethink it within the context of that class. And so um, I picked up a couple of books. Um, one is called A River Lost, The Life and Death of the Columbia River. Um, I was really excited about uh, exploring the different nuances of the damming of the Columbia River and the relationship between uh, the people in Washington State and the tribes and, you know, how did that all work and water rights and salmon and fishing rights, um, which eventually led to like the Bolt decision Um some things in there. I've always been fascinated with the Columbia River too, as well, um, like Sligo Falls and things. So um, really looking forward to learning some new things there. And then a couple years ago, I had uh, some uh, former students read the book Boys on the Boat, um, which is about uh, this uh, team of rowers or crewers, not sure about the exact term, from uh, University of Washington that went to the uh, Olympics in Berlin in 1936. And I think um, those are some interesting reads that um, will help give me some insight into some things uh, about diplomacy within Washington State. Um, and then we're, um, I'm also looking at maybe trying to get up to the San Juan Islands, too, um, where the pig war occurred, um, which is going to be one of our jumping off points um, that um, my teacher colleague Brad and I will be using um, to talk about diplomacy um, here in Washington State. And aren't you reading Obama's book as well? Yes, uh, A Promised Land. It's a really thick book, really full of interesting anecdotes. Um, he writes really well. I know he didn't write the whole thing himself. I, I would think he didn't. But um, it's a fascinating read. Um, makes me want to get involved in politics when I read it. So um, it's uh, very enlightening. I, a lot of fun to make it through that, too. Awesome. Well, I, I that one's on my list as well. Um, this summer, I am finishing right now a book called Range, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. Um, this one came out in kind of mid-2019. Uh, it's by David Epstein, and it's really a, kind of a great argument against over-specialization and speaks to that idea that we've been pushing for a few decades now that we need to start early, specialize soon, narrow focus, you know, aim for efficient, get kids as focused as possible in schools. But that really 
in most domains, the way to get ahead, the way to go somewhere is to be someone who can apply lots of broad skills in any direction. And this spoke to me because I've always been the kind of person who wanted to do all of the things. You know, I have all these hobbies and I want to try this and I want to do that. And it's been frustrating for me as a learner, both as a kid and as an adult, to have people try to pin you down and say, well, you need to spend all your time on this. How can you get effective at this? And it it really kind of flips the script on what you get good at. Do you get good at one skill or do you get good at applying skills wherever you are? So that's been a really great book to read. Um, I also just found out that I, because of my job switch, need to read a book called Permission to Feel. So I'm going to start that one that this week. And this one, Mark Brackett's talking about skills, tools for bringing who you are forward. And I'm really excited to read this one because it it's geared toward the mental well-being of kids and adults and how we have not um, taken care of that really. And it integrates research, educational practice, stories, all of that to really change how we interact with each other. And I'm hoping I get a m- as much out of it as I got from reading nonviolent communication, you know, a decade ago. Um, Bernie Brown r- loves it. I just, so I'm really excited to get started on that one this week. Um, I'm also reading The Tempest over again. So that's um, one of Shakespeare's comedies uh, that talks about a shipwreck and some other things going on and some um, plans and some plots and murder and all sorts of things. So I'm rereading that to kind of get back into that for a creative writing project that I'm working on. And then lastly, I'm reading an amazing fictional book called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. And it is a book about a woman in the 1700s who makes a deal with the devil where she is going to trade one thing for another. And of course, we know from literature that when you make a deal with the devil, it never comes out quite how you thought it would. Um, And then how this woman's life plays out over several centuries. And it has been fantastic. And what's really exciting is that I was talking about it briefly on Twitter the other day and someone said, oh my gosh, I love the twist at the end of that book. And so I'm like, ah, what twist is coming? So I'm, I'm very excited and I cannot recommend that as summer reading enough. It's been a really enjoyable book. You know, what's interesting is when you read books, there's always those people like, do you skip to the end and read a little bit and to, to know what's going on? But there are a lot of people that do that. There um, are. It is a temptation, but um, I'm not just because I want I want the full experience. Isn't there a word, the word for that? I don't know if I can pronounce it right. It's like hoang. I'm going to look it up because then yeah, we obviously I'm, I'm need to know huang. Not quite sure. <sighs> it's the term that means um, that the audience knows that at the end of a book, uh, it, it will all turn out, you know, mm. that it, you, you're trusting that the author is going to take you somewhere. And I'm going to find that book. I'll find that. I'll find that title. And then I'll tweet that if I can't find it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, the next thing I think we're going to talk about is obviously that's our summer reading list. But what are some other things um, that you are doing to kind of re-energize, recharge your batteries uh, during this summer hiatus from quite possibly the uh, one of the craziest school years uh, in recorded history. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, well, I just came back from several weeks 
out of town, which is something that uh, I hadn't done before where I, I sort of went to nature. I pre-programmed all of all about three quarters of social media so that it would just run. Um, I, you know, didn't open social media on my phone, you know, took it all off. And then I just went and vegetated for three weeks, or I guess um, the summer term for that would be estivation, the the opposite of hibernation, uh, in this tiny town in Wyoming. And what was fantastic about that is not only did I get to relax by a creek, it was very idyllic, you know, the the weather was perfect. We had a fantastic, huge 4th of July um, in this beautiful polo field. My daughter and I got to participate in rodeo and you know, my family, we went on hikes and we went and saw historical places and all this stuff. And what I realized when I gave myself that time is, yes, it was hard to let go of the fact that back home there were weeds that I needed to pull. There's, you know, my basement to organize all this stuff. But what I realized is that when I gave myself that time, my creativity came back because I was no longer in that sort of fight or flight stressed mode where it's like, okay, we're in a really hard system. We're trying to make things happen. You know, you're constantly assessing and reorganizing all this stuff. And when I gave myself that chance to release and physically took myself away from anything that could demand my attention, my creativity came back. And I found myself going to the library in this very small Western town and researching one-room schoolhouses and reading stories of people, pioneers, um, all of whom, almost all of whom, in these journals and um, recorded histories mentioned their schools. And I thought, oh my gosh, these, these facilities, these buildings, these teachers, they you know, were an integral part of society. Even if they were a small part, it was an important part. It was an essential part. And so then I started driving um, around Wyoming and visiting the one-room schoolhouses. And some of them are still in use, not many, but some of them have been either converted into a home or are dilapidated. Um, You know, there's a whole host of things. And one of them I visited was the Slack elementary school, which is in Parkman, Wyoming, which is kind of near the top, near the Montana border. And students go there. It's a very small class. I, um, I'm still going to find out what what class size they're anticipating this year, but you know, fewer than a dozen students. And it's a tiny building where they do their lessons and there's a playground outside. And then one afternoon a week, the students are bused to the Tongue River Schools, which is a slightly bigger situation, um, but that gives the teacher time to plan at Slack. And I got to see the teacherage, which is a word I learned for the small building where the teacher would live. Cause of course, back then these were unmarried women who kept, you know, only their own company. It was the effective studio apartment situation. And it became really interesting to start thinking about, okay, what was the role of the one room schoolhouse in rural America? How has that changed? And then you were talking about this last year we had, I came to the realization that, you know, the, the pandemic affected teachers and students at these schools much differently than it did these large schools that were used to the more comprehensive schools. But that also there are things we can learn from these schools. For example, they are able to and have almost always been able to adjust learning to the student on a dime. All of these pioneer accounts that wrote about their experiences in one-room schoolhouses 
would say things like, well, you know, I worked really hard on my reading, so I got put in this grade level of reading. And they can still do that now because they don't have all of the layers that come between. Now, obviously, we know that sometimes that's a tough thing because we do a better job when we can think together and we can work together. But it really brought forward the importance of teacher autonomy in adjusting education for the student in the moment. And so that's something that I'm that energized me for this school year and that I intend to take forward in my new role and continue to think about and research. It's, it was a really great learning that came from giving myself the opportunity to relax and be creative and, and follow my own thinking interests. How about you? Yeah. Um, you know, the week after school, I kind of just, just was tidying up some stuff around the house. Um, because my family and I, we were heading, uh, South to central Oregon to sun river and bend for a week, which is always a good time. I hadn't been to sun river before. So I was really excited about that. Um, to celebrate my in-laws 75th birthdays. Yeah. Um, and, um, the the only problem was is that was our heat dome wave and so even in sun river it was 101 when we got the bend it was 110 in the high desert was you just couldn't so the the problem was you couldn't go out and ride all the bike trails that you wanted to because it was just it was too hot um so it was still really beautiful we went and floated the chutes a couple of different times so you know that's always fun um you know, hit up some brew pubs and got some good food, gained some weight. Um, and then my parents actually flew in from the Philadelphia area. Um, and I hadn't seen them in about two years since we were at, I was at ISTE actually in Philadelphia and, uh, spent some extra time with them too. So that was nice. Um, they hadn't been out to our house here in Vancouver, um, since we moved either. So that was, you know, good time. We got a catch a Ridgefield Raptors baseball game, which was kind of a little bit of fun. And, um, you know, we actually went to Multnomah Falls. My mom wanted to go because she had never been. Um, the parking lot was cram packed full, couldn't even fit in. And then now, like they're saying, like, now you need tickets to go see Multnomah Falls. But what was nice is we were able to drive back. We went uh, into the old Columbia River Highway and uh, went back to uh, Lateral Falls. And because there's, you know, really big waterfall right there um, off, off the road and a short little hike that my parents could handle and stuff like that. So, um, we did that instead and, you know, hung out in downtown Vancouver, you know, showed them the city a little bit. Um, it was, it was good to relax. And I will say, yeah, the, the creativity, you know, when you get a moment to breathe, sometimes, um, things just kind of happen. I went on a uh, bike ride, my mother and or actually, no, it was too hot. My mother-in-law just, we needed to get out of the house. And so we went to brood awakenings in uh, sun river for some iced coffee and it was nice because it was actually air conditioned in the coffee shop too. But she and I, she's a, also a teacher. She teaches um, AP statistics and she's been teaching. This is her last year. She's going into her last year. So I was kind of picking her brain on, you know, everything she wanted one last year. She's only teaching, you know, part-time, but she wanted one last year. It was somewhat normal. Um, and it was a really great conversation. We're walking around a little uh, village area and there's like this mini golf course and bumper car area. And so, then I'm like, huh, but it's set up like, just like you're talking, not necessarily one room schoolhouse, but an old settler's town, like a logging town and stuff like that. I'm like, hmm, 
that's a project idea right there. Um, and so I started, uh, you know, playing around with some different things, taking some pictures. And I just, I was only two weeks out of school and I was excited about like tweaking a project to make it fit um, things. So that's, that's where I always love is getting away to these different things, whether it's an art museum or just walking, just walking around, not necessarily with a purpose and seeing what comes of it because you can be inspired by so many different things. Um, and I'm a big fan of Adam Grant and this idea of the originals and letting, just letting ideas percolate, like, right. You have something, just let it sit back there. Procrastination is not a bad thing at a certain point. You need to make things happen, but sometimes, um, by procrastinating and and putting off an idea, you're going to get more creative with it. And, um, I, I, his book originals and his Ted talk are just fascinating and i i want to make them part of our pd for the rest of our staff this year too again because i think it really adds this whole idea in a project-based school that an idea for a project can come from anywhere and um i think it's also then important too to listen to our students um because they you know you might have an idea for a project um and it might still fit within the guise of the standards that you want to work on but they can take on a topic that's important to them or they, they might see something just slightly differently. And if they can always justify that to me, like I think I've only said no to a project like once ever because, you know, it was just way too far out there. But like and, and what's awesome about that is then kids are then, you know, really taking ownership of a different project. But for me uh, and I'm building a deck this week, too, because uh, the con- prices for contractors and stuff like that were just ridiculous. So. Um, but I enjoy that kind of stuff, you know, using math and angles and weight distribution and all, all of that stuff. It's, you know, it's, and then you get that sense of accomplishment of, you know, it's like, I did this right. You know, so, um, measure twice, cut once, or even when you measure twice, make sure the end of the tape measure is on the right place. Because I measured, I, I I triple check everything, oh. and I'm just like, oh my god, I can't believe I did that yesterday. But and even it wasn't then, that we're big gonna of make. Deal. Yes, well, uh, and that's but that's an important thing is even then we're gonna make mistakes. And from some of these books that I'm reading, it's one of those skills you build is when you make mistakes, what do you do? You know, mm-hmm. do you give yourself a minute to maybe freak out, scream in the closet, cry buckets, eat a tub of ice cream, whatever works for you? Yes, but then do you pick yourself up and keep going? And that was a lot to ask this last year. And so, you know, and, and we put so much energy in modeling that for students because we know that life is going on beyond this past year. And um, when we were talking about this, I remember we, you know, in, in what you just said, where we want to work, we, you and I, it's important to us that students own their work, that they kind of plan with us when it comes to projects, because they will come up with even cooler stuff, you know, to have students be a partner in planning their learning. It really isn't an option if you want, you know, superior, fantastic stuff, because you have to trust the kids to do big and great things. You have to trust that they are going to be able to self-assess, you know, even the most wonderful kindergartners I've watched you know, take a piece of work and take what, you know, an anchor piece or an idea they had before and look and see how do these match up? Where could I do a little bit more? Where could I add more? Where did I go above and beyond what I thought I would do? 
all the way up through, of course, our students who are about to embark on college and career thinking, you know, what do I need to do to launch myself forward in life? And, you know, I don't think that teacher prep programs, and I teach for a lovely one, I teach for two lovely ones. I don't think that we always prepare students for our, our student teachers for these kinds of things. And I'm still wrestling with how. So there's always that gap of what teacher school didn't teach me. Mm -hmm. And that's one of those things is, is how to trust students. And I'm not sure that you can teach that necessarily, um, you know, explicitly or, or in some lesson. It's kind of something that you have to experience because it's a, it's a raw place. It's a place of risk. How do I try, how do I let go and give to the students and, and know that that is the right thing? Right. Well, and that's difficult on many different levels, just because, you know, even if the student teaching intern is at a building that allows for that, there's no guarantee that when they get to their job or their career later on, that they're going to be in a place to do that too. So, um, you know, does and that it, can be heartbreaking when you right. get to a and building so that's like, not part. And, and so you have to balance all of those things because you and I are, are lucky enough to, to work in a place where we got to do that. Like we had autonomy over our, our curriculum, but there's a lot of places that as we were just discussing, you know, that does, that doesn't happen. And yeah. so, um, to instill that in like, it's almost like putting hopes and dreams into this student teacher. I, I, it's still a good thing because it can show them what school can be. Um, and maybe that's the spark that helps start some more change in some other, you know, broader scope. How do we, you know, reassess and, and change and reimagine education as a whole? Cause you need those people out there, the change makers, um, and, and things like that. But, and I remember my mentor teacher spent a lot of time kind of teaching me, he called it, this was a million years ago, it feels like the bureaucracy of school. Um, but now I know that what he was kind of talking about was the importance also of tightly coupled organizations. You know, that's a term that we hear in education because what doesn't work is having a system where every cog, every wheel is going off in 50 million directions, because that also doesn't work. So when we talk about autonomy, it is a careful autonomy. It is a thoughtful autonomy. It is an autonomy that's based in the standards, that's based on district visions, goals, state vision goals, societal vision and goals. So, you know, that's also hard to teach, right? Because you want to give pre-service teachers the experience the understanding of why it's also not going to be probably statistically the best choice to just do whatever you want, even if that is the option you have. Mm -hmm. That autonomy is a responsibility that requires, you know, building knowledge, learning, awareness of what your role is, what tools you have, you know, people tools, physical tools, whatever you've got, so that you're doing the best thing for students. So it's not a willy-nilly flying wherever we want. It's something that we plan and think about very responsibly when we're doing yeah. it. But, you know, there's, there's other certain things too. Um, you know, how do you run a fire drill, you know, as a pre-service teacher? Like, I, it's like, that's not taught. So like, how do you, like the first time you have to do that as a real teacher, like that's a crazy, like thing. Um, 
planning a field trip. I oh mean, <laughs> um, you know, it's lots of spreadsheets, lots of spreadsheets, lots of, you know, but like that's some teaching interns get that experience, right? Cause they might have a cooperating teacher that, that still runs field trips, but I don't know a bit like, and by not doing them are we just saying well hey like well i've never done one so i'm just not going to do them now and once i become a teacher and stuff like that or do we say you know hey this is how you run a field trip so that we can get back to those because those experiences with those kids are you know hands down i there's more than just you know a field trip can just be an experience for them to remember doesn't not everything you do on the field trip has to be edu- you know tied to standards and stuff like that you know part of the field trip is the kids get to hang out with their friends and you know get to go see some different places and um I'm always fascinated by when we do the reflections of what what their favorite parts are and you know what they remember from those things but um you know, I also know that, you know, as now we've seen some of our kids like go through and graduate, like they come back. Oh, I remember that field trip. That's when we did this and this. And, you know, I take kids across the country. You know, I've taken groups of like 45 kids across the country. That's a lot of planning and stuff like that goes into that. But um, I think it's worth it. And I think some of those things, those other things that maybe aren't, they're they're definitely not taught in teacher school. Like it's not on my like um teaching my classroom management class doesn't include how to run a field trip right like, no but and maybe it should it should it, I don't know. or another way to do that is you know you talk about mentorships and often what happens when a teacher gets a job is the mentorship is maybe with someone they don't know and sometimes the person is phenomenal awesome you know they trust them right away and they have this great relationship it's not always the case and so i would love to see more pre-service programs or you know even more instructors Continue to offer mentorship beyond, you know, hey, if you have a thing, call me two years from now, five years from now, call me. I'll help you with that. You know, some more organic relationships there because, you know, the first time I had to deal with a fight outside my classroom, I didn't, you know, I didn't have someone to decompress with afterward that I felt safe going, here's what happened, you know, here, here were the results, what could I have done differently? Or even just, here's how I feel now that I've seen this happen. You know, it's not those little things that don't happen every day that you don't get that constant practice. Because we know that part of teaching is just doing it. Like you have to just do it before you start to figure out your style. And some people kind of get that style in their student teaching. Um, Sometimes they don't because their cooperating teacher is um, more directive or they just don't get the chance because of the timing or the, or they get put in a different assignment. But, you know, it's those, sometimes those big things, like how do I do a field trip where the ability to call someone and check in is important. Um, How do I, how do I break up a fight? What do I do with students that are fighting? Um, another one that's on my mind that we've had a lot of conversations about is what do I do when a student comes out to me in class? They don't talk about that in teacher school. They, I think that, you know, more and more this might come up in pre-service programs, but it's not something that programs, especially those that have been in place a long time, have as part of their, you know, their structure where they talk about this. What do you do if a student is being bullied? 
beyond just the, well, I email the so-and-so with it. No, no, no. Like what, what do we need to do here? Where's all the care here? That's not necessarily the part. And so we've talked about specifically this year with a lot of students at home online, I had more students that came out to me than in prior years. And I have a lot of ideas about why that may have worked for them and that I'm not going to put words in their mouths. But what I am going to bring to attention here is that that is an underserved situation for for teachers, for educators, for people that work with children. And there's opportunity for that beyond, you know, putting pronouns on our email or our Twitter handles or wherever we put them. There's way more to it. That's just a tiny baby step. And so that's something I've noticed. Yeah, you know, those students who, you know, it's they feel comfortable, you know, coming out to you as a teacher, sometimes before the parent even knows. I've definitely been in those situations. Um, the pandemic was interesting because sometimes, you know, those students might not be in a situation at home that's accepting. And so school is that accepting place for them. And then so dealing with that, um, where they're just at home all the time um, is is interesting. Um yeah, it's it's one of those things that um, had a couple again this year, um, you know, and it, it that's just yeah, that's one of those things that you know eight years ago or nine years ago, I guess now, um, you know, that wasn't a thing in teacher school, and I, I still don't think it is. Maybe it's mentioned now. I'm not sure, but um, you know, that's that's where if you're a beginning teacher you in your your in your official role it's important to be able to have people that you're building to reach out to or just having um i know our school district did it for a while i think they're still doing it they have a mentorship teaching program for first year teachers mm-hmm. and that's does. i mean it's invaluable um mm-hmm. they've even kept it going like this sometimes to second year teachers um but like having that resource in a building or in your district that you can reach out to is vitally important. I mean, I still talk to my mentor too. Actually, we had lunch in, in, in Bend um, when I was there and stuff like that. Um, it's yeah, th- th- those are those things that um, help because you need, I always say this to the students, the one, the, some of the most successful people in the world are the ones not afraid to ask questions. Right. And if if I've got a question, I need to know who I can go ask and get a, a, a response from. So and a safe response. I think mm-hmm. a lot of um, my teachers that are entering this year, some of them are expressing, you know, who do I ask this? OK, we talk about that. And, um, you know, what can I ask my principal? And that's a really hard question to keep receiving from pre-service teachers. Uh, You and I both know wonderful administrators who are very kind, supportive, lovely people who want nothing more than to help a new teacher and find joy in helping new teachers launch their career. And so they're still getting the message somehow, somewhere that administrators are to be feared. And I think part of that comes from sometimes a misunderstanding of evaluation systems or a fear of them or the fact that, you know, they've just not worked or worked, you know, as part-time jobs so that they could afford to do student teaching. So they really want the job and they want to keep the job. So they don't want to seem as uh, someone who's incompetent or imperfect or unable to manage when really I think a lot of that is, 
I think it is more competent, just like you said, to ask questions, to be someone who is feeling okay about being vulnerable. And so sometimes flipping, you know, changing the way that you say things can help. Little things like, I want to make sure I do this right. How can I? Or it's really important to me to do this well. How would you like? So those kind of sentence frames, I think, acknowledge that you're feeling vulnerable about whatever's going on, but that you are taking that risk because you want to do it right or you want to do it the way that's that's important, you know, that's for that position that you're in. So that's something I wish we worked on in teacher school is how to talk, not just with administrators, but with students too. You know, what are those nuances of phrase, those turns of phrase that we say and those those book, those other books, the more professional books I'm reading about, but they talk about that. You know, the ability to communicate clearly, accurately, honestly, thoroughly, that is a huge one. I know we talk about the four C's and everyone says, oh yeah, communication. But we don't unpack that. We don't give people examples of that often enough in how to address the school year. You know, how do you address somebody that makes you nervous when you talk to them? How do you address somebody you're frustrated with? Um, or well, any of those other things that can come up. And, you know, I, I've got two little kids. Your your daughter is now... 11. Know, 11, yeah. yeah. But, like, you know, we were talking the other day, and, I, God, I can't remember the word, but it's one of those words that, like, oh, it's like, you know, here, right? It has multiple meanings. And, you know, I'm looking at my daughter. She's in second grade learning a spell. And so she's... it's Everything's, like, phonetic right now, right? And so you're looking at that, and... You know, there's so many students out there, too, that are um, emerging English language learners. And, you know, sometimes the way we phrase things, we think it's very clear to us. But to students who speak multiple languages and stuff, or uh, student, perhaps students on the spectrum, right? They're gonna, their interpretation of those words could be more literal, or they don't know that there's another meaning to this. Oh, it's hair. We were talking about hair because we were watching the new Space Jam movie. Um and I made reference to Bugs Bunny being a hare. And she's like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> <laughs> And so it's one of those things. Pronounce the same, spell differently, mean different things, right? Like um, that we just, we need to make sure we're doing a good job teaching our kids. And, you know, when they make a mistake on something like that is understanding, like saying, hey, that's okay. Right? Like, and, and learning from those. So riddle me this. Um, for our, some of our state programs for upper level administration and some programs in other states, you don't go to classes first. You start with your internship and the internship runs the whole time. And I bring this up because my mom was all the way through a teaching degree, got up to student teaching, started it and went, nope. And then finished her degree in anthropology Mm. and became a zookeeper. So, you know, she, you know, loved the topic, loved education, loved thinking about it, did not want to be a classroom teacher. And so a part of me wonders if we could change these systems, better prepare people if instead of, you know, six months maybe or, you know, sort of the beginning of the year and most of the end of the year they spent in a classroom, what if day one we put people in a classroom and Part of their programming is, of course, gen eds, because those are applicable somewhat. That's a separate question. Gen eds in college, is that something antiquated? Maybe. We'll talk about that another time. But if they did it in a project-based learning format, 
where your essential question could be something like, what, what is your educational philosophy? One could be, what do you bring to a classroom? One could be, you know, how do you empower students to reach their future potential? Or a bunch of other questions. But we put teachers in from the beginning, and that's where they are. And then the other pieces we bring up as they gain footholds into that and can apply that learning. I'm surprised that our teacher prep programs teach things like PBL yet don't live things like PBL. Yeah, it's um, so I'm going to go back to my experience. And I loved University of Portland's program and they actually kind of do what you're talking about here. Um, it was a 10 month master's program. And like day one, you know, we started our classes, but then like the next week we were actually tutoring students. They have a summer tutoring program and it was us, the MAT students that were running that. And we were in charge of coming up with like, like the weekly lesson plans for those students. And it was a small group. So you were only working with like, you know, five, maybe six students, but we come up with like, okay, is there like a week long project you can do or tie into these standards? Like, so we were doing that at the same time, then also doing our like teaching philosophy and classroom management class. Um, and so we would like tutor in the morning and then we go to class in the afternoon. Um, I really liked that setup. And then the same thing too, like with, um, the way they did, at least when I went, um, it was in the mornings, even when you were doing part-time teaching, um, every, you went to your school every morning, but then in the afternoon you were back on campus, you know, taking your classes. So you got to really build those relationships with the kids. You saw them every single day instead of like on, you know, all day, maybe Tuesdays and Thursdays, but it's like, well, then, you know, if you're on a rotating block schedule, like we were right at our school, well, and then all of a sudden now you're trying to teach that kid, that person's going to come and teach full time. They don't know those kids on Mondays and Wednesdays at all. Right. Like they're mm-hmm. starting from scratch when they're starting to like do their ed TPA or whatever it is, you know, in, in January and February. And so, you know, I think there's ways that we can look at the, the, that program to help build these things that we were just talking about earlier is building those relationships with students. Um, that's, that's where it all starts. Cause when you can build a good relationship with students, you can pretty much do anything within the classroom. Absolutely. So if you were a, a brand new teacher, maybe starting in a couple weeks here, mm-hmm. what would you, or if you, or if you knew one, or there's one listening, what would you tell them to do right now to prepare? with those things in mind? You know, um, a couple of things. One, because uh, you're probably stressing like, oh, I want to do good at this. I, I, you know, I don't want to fall flat on my face. Reach out if they can to the people that have been at the school, right? Because, you know, um, especially you know, like whether you're teaching in a PBL school or not, you want to know what you're going to be teaching, right? Like if you're not teaching in a PBL, like, what's the curriculum? What's the book? So you can start wrapping your head around it because that starts, you know, decreasing the nerves. Um, if you're at a school like ITAC um, or, you know, PBL-ish, like, and you're a brand new teacher and you have like no idea, reach out to those teachers that have been doing it because they're going to 
you know, you won't have to invent everything from scratch. You know, you can, there's going to be people that have done, been there, done that. Um, and so that's that support mentorship that can be offered. Um, you know, veteran teachers can also reach out if they know that there's a new staff member. Sometimes they don't know, right? That's the big caveat. They don't know that there's a new staff member. And so then you're waiting They're like, oh, you're doing your PD like a week before school starts and you're meeting everyone. It's like, I'm a big proponent of doing when you can is doing PD actually at the end of the school year in June, because I think that allows people to percolate on ideas over the summer. And it doesn't mean that you have to, right? Some people may not want to do anything and just may want to be done with school, but there's things that might be connections that can be made, things that could happen over the summer, just incidentally that help propel ideas or make you better. Or like your that new teacher, even if they got hired in at the end of June, they could be stressing out right now, like sitting here going, I don't know what I'm going to be doing the first day. Like I, they need that comfort and that space. So like, I think reaching out to them and, and um, or them re- have reaching out to you and then responding back saying, Hey, let's just meet for coffee. Right. That or like pizza. two or pizza, like we, like we did. Right. That, that two hours can help calm a lot of nerves that beginning teacher. And the less nervous that they are going into that first day of school, you know, the better. I agree. I I think that finding a mentor or buddy at the building where you'll be is important because that person uh, can be someone who's like, okay, well, how do I print? You know, something as small as that to something bigger, like, oh my gosh, a fire drill. How do I plan for that? Or where do I put my sub plans? Mm-hmm. So having a buddy that yeah, what you can if I'm, ask what if I'm questions. What if I'm sick and need to take a day I'm off? Sick? Like, what do I yeah. do? What do I do? Who do I talk to? And I think that that person, and if you're a new teacher, I would say email your administrator, let them know you're super excited to be joining the team and you're hoping they can connect you with someone um, that would be a great partner. Maybe it's someone who teaches the same grade or the same subject, or you can say, you know, I'm... I'm this kind of personality and I like to plan this way. Do you have someone that would be a good match for me? And they can set you up with that person. I think doing that is great. And then I also always recommend that new teachers plan a handful of lessons, general lessons, because I think when you're brand new, there's always a day that's going to go wrong. Um, There's always a day where the schedule changes or something happens. And that's not just when you're new. Exactly. That's not just when you're new. Um, so having kind of a handful of lessons you can pull out and go, okay, I got to start over or I have to do something different um, really helps. And if you're someone who's looking at getting hired right now in August, when we're so close to the school you're starting, because you know all the reasons, all the reasons that um, jobs aren't filled until August, it happens. Um, you might get put in very quickly to a position and have to learn as you go figure out the answers as you go. And so having some general things ready for the beginning of the year, really helpful. Um, I also team building exercises, just other different skills, because a, the students, you know, you want to get to know your students, right? Learn their names, pronunciations, all of those different things. What do they like um, to do? What type of learners they are? And you can learn a lot of that from those different types of activities, but also they get to know you. And once again, that gets back to them building that trust within your classroom. Yeah. And you can, you know, bring up, a t- there are lots of like literacy strategies that you can apply to any subject. You can have pull, insert the article into the lesson 
that's appropriate. And you have an awesome lesson. Like we always, you and I are big fans of media literacy. We wrote that curriculum this year on media literacy. Um, any of those things are great things to have ready. And I also think, you know, kind of on the, the smaller side of it, picking out something that you're still going to do when everything goes nuts, because they don't teach you in teacher school how to have a, uh, how to not have a super intense year. And to an extent, I think you're going to have an intense year no matter what, because you're making a big shift, a big change, and it's the you show. But things like saying, you know, keeping a book on the side, a, a personal book that you enjoy just because you enjoy it, to read when you have five minutes or you have a half hour or you just cannot think about work anymore and you need to do something else or a hobby you like or stay, you know, go to the Play, gym. Anything. Playlist. A playlist that makes you feel better. Something like that where you can take care of yourself in those moments when you need it. And then I also suggest making a sort of care package for yourself that has, you know, a snack because, oh my gosh, you and I are bad at this where we don't eat lunch. <laughs> and we've been doing this a while. Well, we, we, get, we get sucked into too many different we things sometimes. But... Well, and then you you can't. Well, I'll walk down. I would walk down the hallway, come see you. And the next thing I know, half hour has gone by. Yeah. because. <laughs> Exactly. And you need to eat. And so having, you know, that granola bar that you like, or, Mm. you know, those little oatmeal packets or something so you can put food in your face when you get really busy. Cosmic crisp apple. Cosmic crisp apples and peanut butter. A jar of peanut butter is always in my my, um, bag. You know, that stuff so that that you can take care of yourself. And in there, you know, whatever medications you might need, or I always keep a toothbrush and toothpaste, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that when, as you're figuring out how you're going to run your day and how the school works and how you'll care for students, you can do, take care of those little things, you know, a sewing kit. Remember those ones they used to give you in hotels, the fancy hotels? I keep I those and I keep one. Well, yeah, cause buttons or zippers or a hole or a, yeah, you gotta have a Tide pen keep a Tide pen. If you don't have a Tide pen, get a Tide pen. (laughs) You know, little things like that, because I think when you're having a bigger stressor, you know, you have this new job, you want to do really well. It's really important to you. And one little thing goes wrong, or maybe the third little thing goes wrong, you can lose it. And (laughs) so if you have those little pieces put in a place to care for yourself, it can help you come back to that cool calm, come back to that place of, all right, so I had my freak out. How am I going to move forward? And so that's kind of that two prong way to yeah, look out for yourself. That's part of the like, and I don't know that that's in the the teacher programs, but you know, nope. teaching with your, you know, dealing with your own uh, well being, your own yeah. teacher well being. Um, and there's been a uh, obviously a big push on that the last year and a half as mm-hmm. uh, teaching has gone through tons and tons and tons of stressors or stressors rather and stuff like that, and you know. Um, there's different people, you know, uh, teachers like myself too, that teach uh, social studies right now are on this whole nother like bombardment of like what we're teaching and people at school boards and stuff like that. It's Ooh, across yeah. the nation. And it's, you know, it's us in the science. Some people world might not think that. Right. And it's yeah. like, you know, guess what? I still see that stuff. It's and it stresses me out and keeps me up at night. You know, it's um, even though it might not be happening directly right here, it, you know, it is to some degree because it's, you know, next door and, um, or just whatever, like those things. Yeah. They just, they, they, they can grade on you. And so like having that like outlet, whatever it is, is going to be important. And, and I'm not here to, it could be what, I mean, 
there's so many different types of ways to relieve stress. I'm not going to say like people are like, oh, just get off of social media. I like it. Like, yeah, to me, we, that's we like, like it. We it's like good. it. You know, um, I'm not going to unplug entirely because part of my hobby is photography and like and I like sharing those things like that's that's me. Right. Is that going to work for everyone? No. And, but what's what's going to work for one person is not going to work necessarily for other things. And so, you know, it's understanding the nuances and that we're all different. And then, um, yeah, but this yeah. year, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm also very excited about this school year because I'm, I'm hopeful that if we can at least continue where we were at the end of last year, we can make a lot more progress through this last year and have a lot more fun uh, doing it because, um, kids were really, I think, very successful last year, surviving a pandemic and doing whatever learning that they could. But it wasn't always fun. I'll just be the first to admit that yeah. it, it sucked from time yeah. to time. Um, but having the kids back in the building and, you know, not it was always funny. You could see kind of when they're smiling because their cheekbones go up. You know, <laughs> it would uh, lift the, the mask slightly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but those God, life was just better. And, yeah. You know, and so that's a big call to be safe right now mm-hmm. is in these weeks leading up to schools. Everyone, please be safe. Um, take care of yourselves and each other so that we can have our school buildings open so that we can provide this care for students who really benefit from being in person um, with schools. I think that's a huge thing. You were talking about social studies right now and, and all of that. And it goes right along with the science and all of the misinformation that has been pasted everywhere and the fight to end that. And, you know, we all have to work together to, to, to grow these citizens and to support them so that they can go forward and help us not ever get in this mess again, you know, and change that trajectory. Well, and and just on that note, I'm going to refer back to last week when I was at a a guest at a luncheon and uh, I, you know, there was a student there, young uh, man from Kentucky, and he actually wrote an essay about George Washington and smallpox in the American Revolution and how he mandated that all of his soldiers get inoculated. And then, you know, they were able to stay. That's one of the most important things they said that the Continental Army did was they weren't going to like lose soldiers due to smallpox because they, George Washington had the foresight and, you know, they did actually did it in stages and stuff. And I, fascinating. Um, so Trust kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we've been through things. The, the other thing I want to get to is there's been things like this before, right? Mm-hmm. Like there was the, the, uh, the, the flu ep- pandemic in the, in the late 1900 or 1919, yeah, 1918, yeah, 1918. And, um, you know, you know, I don't have a scar on my arm. My mom does right from the polio Same. shot because, you know, it worked. It worked. Science um, works. Um, science isn't perfect, right? There's it's, that's the whole purpose of science. It goes through, it's a process you learn as you go, um, and things, but, um, you know, we've survived these things before this, this last year was so interesting because we hadn't had all of those, the, all of those things that we just lived through this last year were all in like separate years, separated by lots of time versus yeah. this last year, there were literally three massive things happening all at once. Um, which made it extremely time. challenging. It was. It's it's definitely a year for the history books. That's and for if sure. people who are veteran teachers are are feeling these things, new teachers, if you're listening, you it's yes, yes. 
all of these concerns, um, all of this excitement, these are all real and important emotions. So whatever you've got, you're in the right place at the right time. And thank you. Um, In a year where they anticipate we may lose one out of every four teachers um, that we had, to have people that are entering willingly knowing all of this is phenomenal. So I wanted to make sure to thank everyone who is entering um, the profession, really. And please reach out. Uh, to to us, to anyone, to someone, make sure that we can support you and applaud you and celebrate you every step of the way. It's mm-hmm. a wonderful career, um, and and you are champions coming in how you are. Um, on that note, I mean, it's yeah, and and it's scary to see. I just saw Houston posted like seven hundred teaching positions. Wow! Open. Um, oh gosh! So it's yeah, it's you know and. So those new teachers, literally, probably a lot of them are going to be new, especially there, you know, um, they're going to be under a lot of stress this year, um, trying to, you know, get their feet under them and um, just know you're not alone out there. Um, there's people uh, in your district at your school building that were there to support you, but there's also teachers, you know, across the U.S. That's one of the nice things about like teacher Twitter is you can connect with people um, and have conversations. Um, you don't have to be in the same spot. And you really also then get a, a more diverse perspective of what's going on in different places across the country too. Um, 100%. And so as we're closing out this episode, our first episode in season three, we're, we're coming back. We're getting it figured out and we're moving forward into the 2021-2022 school year. Um, please check in with us. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram at Teachers in Hall. You can email us. We would love to hear from you. We like to share out comments from our listeners and on get the, in touch with us Facebook. if you need support. Yeah, on Facebook, we're, yep. we're all the places and we would love to hear from you. We would love to support you. Yep. So thank you all. Have uh, a safe and restful rest of your summer and we will uh, see you in the, or hear you in the next episode.